You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Uh, Stephen said in his prayer, we're continuing our study of the Ten Commandments this evening. Uh, We are in the second table of the law, that's commandments 5 through 10, that are summarized with... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this evening we are going to be looking at the ninth commandment and the sin of lying. And our growing up, I think almost everyone was taught a little rhyme in school. You can probably guess what I'm going to say. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right? We used to sing that and like thumb your nose at another kid on the playground. Uh, or maybe do something worse than that. I don't know your life. Um, but the older you get, the older you get, the more you start to realize that that rhyme just isn't true. Right? It's just not true. Uh, words can do some of the worst damage in the world. I've talked with abuse victims before who have been both physically abused and verbally abused, and I've been told that some would rather endure physical abuse again than have to deal with verbal abuse. Um, now, that says a lot about the power of words. Right? Words can hurt, and often they do hurt, especially lies and gossip and slander. Lies hurt people. Lies hurt people badly. They ruin marriages. They end careers. They end businesses. They destroy friendships, ruin reputations, and bring about injustices. Words are powerful. They can be used for great things, but so often we use our words for evil rather than good, do we not? Uh, just like with the Eighth Commandment that we talked about last week, um, I think sometimes we might think that we really don't break this Ninth Commandment too much. Right? Th- this commandment has to do with lying and hurting the reputations of other people. Uh, and most of us think, you know, like, I don't make up lies on people. Right? Everyone probably has someone in their family that you can say, yeah, that person just makes up things about other people. Right? But I don't really do that. Uh, so I'm probably good to go on this. Right? But, but like all the rest of the commandments, the ninth commandment is much more broad than just making up stories on people. Right? This commandment covers lying in court, slander, gossip, hateful speech, twisting words, misquoting people, spinning the truth, omitting facts so that you look good, willfully misrepresenting people, being uncharitable about someone's, what someone said and what they meant, and much, much more. This commandment speaks to how we ought to speak in general. Our communication ought to be full of love for our neighbor, and it ought to be full of truth. We as the people of God ought to be a people who hate lies and who hate gossip and who want to see our neighbor's reputations kept as clean and upright as possible. But man, this is really an often neglected commandment. I think we could all agree on that if you really think about it for a moment. It's an often neglected one. This is one that we don't tend to give a whole lot of thought to. This isn't usually the first one you think of whenever you think of the Ten Commandments. And this commandment is broken day in and day out by basically everyone. I would wager that. Of all the Ten Commandments, this probably makes my top three of easiest commandment to break. People pass on stories about people without knowing if they're true. All the time. 
right, all the time. Just consider all of the half-truths and whole lies that people, that people share on social media, right? Get on Facebook or Twitter for like a half an hour, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's half-truths and whole lies flying all over the place, people sharing stories about politicians or celebrities or people in their town, and they don't even know really if it's true or not. Right? It's just, oh man, that sounds terrible, and I want everyone to know this terrible thing that I think somebody did, but I'm not really sure if they did it. Right? People are condemned on the internet in an afternoon under false charges, and their lives are changed forever. And then, oddly enough, most of the time people don't really care to go back and learn that what the, the rumor that ended their life was actually just a baseless, baseless rumor, and it wasn't even true to begin with. You ever notice a story can be on the front page and it ended up being a lie and then there's a redaction the next week in the newspaper buried like way deep down in the newspaper? People don't often care to go back and fix their wrongs. But we sin in our speech all the time, both online and face-to-face. And I, and, and I don't think that we even realize it most of the time because it's just so common. It's just so common. But we ought to give a great amount of thought to what we say and who we say it to and how we say it. Because the Lord Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. He says to the Pharisees, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words aren't to be toyed around with. This isn't a joke. Our Lord says that every word we speak will be brought under judgment. So just a question for you to chew on, not just now, but every day for the rest of your life. Ask yourself this, what is your speech like? What is your speech like? Is it something that Christ will say, well done? Or is it something that Christ will condemn? Do you honor God with your speech, or are you a chronic violator of the ninth commandment? Now our goal as the people of God should be to display God's character in all that we do. And this includes our speech. We ought to strive to speak like God, who is full of grace and truth. So my prayer this evening is that God would reveal our sin to us, as always, and and teach us righteousness. That he would teach us to love our neighbor and reflect his character in our speech as we look to Christ alone as our right standing before God. So with that said, let's go ahead and read our passage for this evening. You guys already confessed it. We're going to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verse 16, our commandment this evening. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us humble teachable and obedient hearts so that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Please help us to not be a people who merely read and understand your word without acting on it. Give us hearts that are ready for action and are ready to be quick to obey and put into practice the truths that we find in your word. 
please grant to us the right motive for this, that we would do it all for your glory and praise. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so this commandment has to do with speaking truth. Right? We're told in the commandment itself, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, more, more literally, it means you are not to be a lying witness. Right? So this commandment condemns basically all lies and all forms of deception, though there may be one or two exceptions like to save a life, if you look at Rahab in, in uh, Joshua chapter 2, where she lied in order to hide the spies and is later commended for saving their lives, or the two Hebrew women in Exodus chapter 2 who saved the lives of the Hebrew children so they wouldn't be murdered by Pharaoh. So th- th- there may be an exception there that it's okay to deceive someone in order to save a life or to win a just war, but that's another question for another time. We're not going to get into that. Uh, please feel free to come and talk to me. It's, it's the... Christian ethical dilemma that has racked my brain all week, and I'm not confident enough to preach on that. So let's, let's talk about that sometime. Uh, but anyway, God's people are to be honest in all situations. We're to be honest, right? Christ did not save us so that we could then lie like the devil and be like him, right? In John 8, the Lord Jesus says, people who lie are just like Satan because he is the father of lies and has been lying from the beginning, Right? So to lie is to participate in demonic activity, but Christ saved us from that so that we might live to God. Right? But a good question to begin our thinking on this commandment is this. Why? Why is God concerned with us telling the truth and being honest? Why is God so concerned about truthfulness? Well, telling the truth is important because, simply put, God himself is truth. God is truth. He doesn't lie. Right, like ever. <laughs> like that, that's a wild thing to think about, that there is a being who never, ever, ever has ever told a lie. That's wild because all human beings are liars. Right? But God's nature is truth. It's an attribute of God, and all that is in God is God. So that means he's always truth all the time, no breaks. He is true in all that he does forever. Right? He is the embodiment of truth. In fact, all truth that exists flows out of him. In the words of John Calvin, God is the fountainhead of all truth, right? God is truth. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Titus chapter 1, verse 2, the apostle Paul writes and says, God who cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. His eternal truthfulness, and and, and the fact, again, like I just said, that it's impossible for him to lie because God won't violate his own nature and won't participate in that which he hates. But God being truth itself is one of the things that separates him from humanity. Right? That attribute of God of complete and utter truthfulness makes him distinct from mankind because, as I said, along with the psalmist, all mankind is liars. Right? Or that's bad grammar. We are all a bunch of liars. Our God delights in truth and hates deception. In fact, if you'll read the book of Proverbs, which I strongly recommend that you take time and read through the Proverbs this year, you'll read that lying and dishonesty is one of the most frequently discussed subjects. And God says over and over he hates it. In chapter 6 of Proverbs, we read six six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Then you go on and read a lying tongue, lips that deceive 
someone who breathes out lies, a false witness, someone who separates close friends. Right? I do believe, if my count was right, four out of the seven things that God says are an abomination to him in that passage have to do with how you talk, have to do with how you speak to people. But think about it, though. Like It makes sense. God loves himself. And that's a good thing. That's not a narcissistic thing. It would actually be immoral for God to not love himself, right? Because he's perfect. And he's the standard of all that is lovely, all that is good, and all that is right. So it's good and fitting that God loves himself. But he loves himself, right? And he is truth. So it makes sense then that God would absolutely detest falsehood. Because he loves himself and lying Deception, falsehood, contradicts who God is at his very core. So he hates it. Lying is an offense to God. It's a sin against him because it violates his own nature. But not only that, this is an interesting thing to consider. Language is sacred to God. I never thought about this until this past week. Language is a sacred thing to God. Like, how did God used to speak with his people? Through prophets. Right? God spoke words through the prophets to his people. He spoke to them through prophets. Right? How does God speak to us today? Through his word. Right? Through the written word, the scriptures. And it's the only place that he speaks to his people today. But he speaks through the words of scripture. What is God appointed to be the centerpiece of Christian worship? We're doing it right now. Right? Preaching. Right? So a man standing up and expounding the truth of the word, right? declaring the, the scriptures to others as they intently listen and learn from the word of God. In fact, really, all of our worship is word-centered. Right? A quick aside here. All of our worship is word-centered. We sing words. We pray words. We hear preaching. Right? We recite the faith together using words. Even in the Lord's Supper and baptism that we get to witness this evening, praise God, um, we're seeing the word in visible form. That's all that the sacraments are, is the word in visible form. But our worship is a word-based worship. What I'm getting at, all that said, is that words are important to God. They're important to Him. God created language. He communicates to his people through words. He commands us to worship him through words. So words matter to him. And words are absolutely worthless and useless if they're not true. Words are worthless if they're not true. You can't trust a lie. You can't learn anything good from a lie. Lies make words worthless. So really what lying is, is it's a perversion of God's good gift of words. It's a perversion of God's good gift of communication. Again, words are a gift from him, and all lying is an abuse of this wonderful gift he's given. So again, when we're lying, we're perverting something that God's given to us, and we're using it for evil instead of what he desires. Right? No wonder God hates this. Right? It, it makes it an offense against God to lie. It's an abuse of his gift. Not only are words important to God, but his image is also important to him. Everyone here, all human beings were created in the image of God, which means we were created to be like him, to shine forth, to image forth what he's like. And as we've said many times already, God doesn't lie. He loves truth. Truth is his nature. And being made in the image of God, we were created to be like small shadows of God. 
Right? We've been made to shine forth who God is to the world. That is the whole reason that we exist. That we would glorify God as we shine forth, image forth, display who he is and what he's like. And he's truth. So then every time we lie, we're perverting the reason for which God made us. We're not imaging forth what he's like. We're insulting his very character whenever we lie. We're rebelling against God and revolting against the whole purpose of our existence when we deal in falsehood and deception. Our speech ought to be full of truth because our speech ought to be grounded in the character of God since we are his image bearers. Now listen, this should be true of all people because all people are made in the image of God, but this should be especially true for Christians. We've been bought with the blood of Christ We've been forgiven for our sins. Right? The image of God that was shattered in us has been restored by the work of Christ. So we, above all people, should delight in truth. Above all people, we should speak in accordance with who God is. And why is that? Because we actually know God. Unlike the world around us, we actually know him. We actually know what he's like. But in light of God's nature being truth and our being made to image him and the importance of words and truth to God in light of all of that what does this commandment say again you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor so we've seen why truth is important now let's look at this commandment you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor the immediate context of this commandment is the courtroom Right? Maybe you didn't know that. The courtroom is what's there. Again, literally, it's, it's being a witness, <laughs> a legal witness in a courtroom. So God is forbidding anyone from lying in court to falsely testify that a guilty person is innocent or that an innocent person is guilty is what's being forbidden. Right? God is also forbidding people from withholding true information that could swing a case in court. Right? There is to be honesty in the courtroom. This is kind of a common sense thing. Right? In order for a society to function, there must be a justice system. And in order for a justice system to actually be just, you can't have lying witnesses. You can't have people just making stuff up on other people all the time. Right? And God demands honesty in the courtroom because not only is he the embodiment of truth, but because God is very much concerned about justice. He is also the embodiment of justice. He's holy. He hates injustice. Right? All of his judgments are just. God does not condemn the innocent, and he does not acquit the guilty. Right? Which should remind us that this is why we need Christ as our sin and guilt bearer. Right? This is why we need a substitute in our place. This is why we need someone to take the justice of God in our place, because God is just. Right? But again, in his just nature, he hates injustice, and lying witnesses pervert justice. Right? At least here on earth. Although... No one really gets away with anything, eternally speaking. Everyone will have to render an account to God. But in line with justice, God said that in legal cases and church cases, if you read the New Testament, we aren't even to hear an accusation against somebody unless there are two or more witnesses. Right. So in order for someone to be rendered guilty, you must have people who can testify to the person's guilt. You have to have witnesses. But here's what's really interesting. Here's how seriously God takes honesty amongst witnesses, right? Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 and 19. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness, 
and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Right, so God takes honesty so seriously that in Israel, under the old covenant, if you falsely charge someone and they prove that you were lying, then whatever would have happened to the accused now happens to you. Right? I'll give you some examples. If you claim that your neighbor stole $1,000 from you, the law said that the one who stole has to restore it fourfold, has to restore it four times. So your neighbor would have owed you $4,000 if he were found guilty. But if it can be proven that you lied on your neighbor, you have to give him four grand. Right? Same is true for capital offenses. If you falsely accused someone of murder or rape and it was found out that you lied, then you would die instead. You would be stoned to death instead. I'm, just, I'm on team, that's a great rule, right? I mean, obviously, like, that's in the scriptures, so, like, it's true and good, and any country would be blessed in applying that. Um, and I, I wish we did that in our system. Um, it's definitely a strong deterrent to keep people from committing perjury, right? If you've ever had anyone lie on a friend of yours and their whole reputation get ruined because someone decided to press false charges against them and then it gets thrown out of court, you understand what I'm talking about, right? This would be a great law to have in there. Uh, people would be very, very, very slow, to lie in court. Um, but God demands honesty from people in the justice system. He doesn't want justice perverted. In fact, injustice is sin. God hates injustices. In the Old Testament, we read that judges were commissioned by God to be faithful and hate a bribe, to hate bribery. Witnesses, likewise, were commanded to be completely honest in court. And the law was to be equally distributed to everybody. There was to be equal treatment under the law. The law was to apply equally to everyone. That's what justice is, by the way, is when the law is equally applied to all. And for this to happen, truth must prevail. Truth must be the standard. So it's easy to see that God takes truth seriously and that he hates lies. He hates falsehood. But this commandment isn't merely concerned with courts and the legal system. Although any good exposition of the Ninth Commandment must include that, so that's why we went over that. But the honesty demanded in the courtroom is also demanded in the streets. The honesty demanded in the courtroom is demanded in the streets. This one specific example of you will not lie in court is meant to represent the whole category of how we speak. Just like the, the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, covers the whole category of sexual sin. The commandment, you shall not commit murder, covers unjust violence in general, right? Same for this. This covers how we speak in general. This commandment has to do with our speech and honesty everywhere and in all situations. We're not to lie to anyone about basically anything. The people of God are to reflect his character and be a people of truth. And there's a really good summary of this commandment in a very old catechism called an orthodox catechism because they were really super original whenever they gave names to things back in the 1600s. Uh, but it was written by a dude named Hercules Collins. So you'll remember that. His name was Hercules. Um, it's essentially the Heidelberg Catechism for Baptists, so it's better. Um, but yeah, question 130 in an orthodox catechism is this. What is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? What is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? Answer, God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, 
nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. That is a great summary of God's will for us under the ninth commandment. And it is incredibly broad. The psalmist says God's law is exceedingly broad. One commandment of God has so many implications and reaches to so many different things in our lives. But this commandment forbids all kinds of speech that would unjustly or unnecessarily harm the reputation of other people in addition to forbidding deceiving people for personal gain or anything really, any kind of deception. And because of that, I'm convinced that this is one of the most easily broken of the Ten Commandments. But it's good. The law is good. Consider this. The Fifth Commandment protects society from chaos, authority structures. The Sixth Commandment protects human life. The Seventh protects marriage. The Eighth protects property. And the Ninth protects reputations and protects truth. So often... We harm the reputations of others by speaking falsely, speaking maliciously, and not seeking to hold up their good name. This commandment, again, is easily broken, and I don't think that we often realize that we're even doing it. So now for the next stretch of time that we're here, I want us to take a few minutes and and consider the ways that this commandment can be broken. And know this, everything that I'm getting ready to say applies to all forms of communication whether it be face to face talking about somebody when they're not around which by the way is not always sinful it's not always I mean again that we couldn't really have many conversations if everyone had to be there right but talking face to face talking whenever someone's not around your text messages the things you screen cap and send to other people your emails blogs Printed writing, letters, social media posts. I'll say that again for the people in the back. Social media posts. God help us. A lot of people think Jesus is Lord over their life, except for when they're on the internet. I mean, let's just keep it real. Let's consider some of the ways that we lie. There's the most simple one. There's outright falsehoods. Right? Just a bold lie. Just a bold-faced lie. And let's consider, usually, why do you lie? To save your own skin. Right? Generally speaking, you lie because you love yourself more than you love the person to whom you owe the truth. That's why we lie. Right? Did you do that thing or did you say that thing? Mm-mm. No, I didn't. Or, well, it wasn't really like that. Let me, let me tell you really how it was whenever it's exactly like they said it was. This can be a small lie. Right, told to just avoid a fight or to spare someone's feelings. But again, most often, telling someone just an outright falsehood is for the sake of convenience because you don't want to deal with your actions or you don't want to deal with the repercussion of the things that you said. It's usually done to save your own skin. Or it can just be a malicious lie, right? Where you just hate somebody and just make something up about them because you want other people to think poorly of them as well. 
Another way we lie. No, the way, there's ten of these I, I wrote down. Flattery. Flattery is when you exaggerate someone's good qualities. Right? You puff them up with praise that they don't actually deserve. Right? Like, you're the best musician I've ever heard. No, they're not. They're inside a county, dog. Like, let's be honest. Right? Or boss, that's the best business idea you have ever had. And it's going to fail. <laughs> right? Or, you know, you're the smartest person that I know. No, they're not. Probably not anyway. This kind of lying is generally done by people because they love themselves and they want to get ahead. And they do, and they, and they, and they tell these, they flatter people so that they can get on someone's good side so that they can then use that person later because they view people as a commodity to be used because they love themselves, so they flatter. But the psalmist says that God will cut off all flattering lips. God hates flattery. A third way that we lie is whenever we make a promise that we don't intend to keep or just don't keep through our own negligence. All right, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, man, we'll meet up this Saturday. And then Saturday comes, and you don't want to meet up, so you make up an excuse in order to get out of it. Nothing providential kept you from it. You just decided, I don't want to do what I said I would do, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up something so I don't have to go. Right, there are memes about this. People do this a lot. You break your promises. This is also, I've been hammering stuff about marriage for the last three weeks. This also applies to your wedding vows. Married people, you promised, you promised to love, cherish, care for, be patient with, obey, submit to, image Christ and his church with this, this other person. Depending on what your role is, whether you're husband or wife, you promised certain things to one another, and then you turn around and break this promise by sinning against your spouse. You sin against your closest neighbor. You lie to them. And this can apply to smaller things as well, right? So I'm serious. Something as small as promising to clean up the house and then by neglect or your own laziness, not doing what you said you would do. Surely, none of us have always kept our word at all times to everybody. But let's push this deeper, right? Let's, let's be real general here for a second, and then we're going to get into how we talk about other people. Being a hypocrite. And acting self-righteously is another way that we lie. And man, we are good at this one. Acting self-righteous and being a hypocrite. right? When you declare with your mouth that something is evil and ought to be kept from, but then you willingly go and participate in the thing that you've condemned with your mouth, you lie. Or when you declare something that, you declare that something is good and true, but you don't really believe it yourself. You're just saying that you believe that in order to keep peace with other people. You're a liar. You're a hypocrite. Another one is this, and this probably hits many of us, trying to make people think that you're actually more spiritual or holy or righteous than you actually are. Probably putting a bunch of stuff on social media to make people, to put this, keep this appearance up that you're this super holy person, and you're not. Trying to make everyone think that you've got the Christian life figured out and that you're crushing it all the time is a lie. <laughs> Here's a real one. Not admitting our sin. Not admitting our sin. Not being honest with our brothers and sisters when they try to hold us accountable and check in on us. Hey, man, how you been doing with that sin issue you've been dealing with for the last few months? Oh, dude, it's great. And you just committed that sin the day before. You're a liar. 
You're a hypocrite. You're acting self-righteously. You're acting like you've got it all together, and that's a lie. We lie when we put up a facade of religion instead of being honest about our need for Christ and our constant failure to obey Him. Guys, if we can't admit our weakness and need for Christ's blood and on, our, on our lives, then you're, we're faking it. We're a bunch of liars. We're a bunch of self-righteous, deceitful hypocrites. But let, let, let's switch gears now and think about how we can violate this commandment and how we talk about other people. Right? And remember, I'm, 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 I'm saying this because one of the big principles behind this commandment is that we would seek to protect the reputations of others. To not bear false witness is to try to keep the other person's reputation as tidy as you can. That's one of the implications of the command. When you twist someone's word, words, you break the ninth commandment. You guys know what I'm talking about. Right? You had a conversation with someone and maybe you didn't like what they said. So what do you do? You go and retell the story to someone else who probably didn't even need to know anything about it to begin with. And you omit some of the parts of the conversation that gave context to what the other person said and why. Right? Hey, he said this to me. No context. Don't tell them anything that you said that brought about that person saying that to you. Or you just misquote the person intentionally in order to make them look worse. Quoting people out of context and not telling the whole story is a way to bear false witness against another person. We spin the truth in a way that makes them look worse and makes us look better. In other ways, we slander. What is slander? Slander is passing along unsubstantiated information or information that we know or have good reason to think is not true. You don't know if it's true or not. It doesn't even really sound true, but you go ahead and tell someone what you've heard anyway. Usually it looks like this. You hear something about a person that you don't really like to begin with, and then you retell it to another person because in your mind, is how you justify it. Well, they've done other things, and I wouldn't be shocked if this were true as well. So I'll just go ahead and say it. Again, even if you don't really know if it's true or not. Slander. Stretching the truth about someone you don't like to make them look worse. And again, you've done this. You retell something that was said or something that was done in a way that really makes the other person look like trash when in reality it wasn't that bad. Did you hear what they did? You want to hear what they said? And you just really trump it up as much as you can. That's not a political joke, by the way. <laughs> it's not realized. You can't say Trump anymore. Um, again, what they said or what they did might not have been good, but you made them out to be horrid in that situation, much worse than they actually are. Assuming the worst about someone's actions or words is a way that you can bear false witness against someone. What I mean is you claim to know their real intentions for why they said or did something. Right? Hey, did you hear what they said? Oh, let me tell you why they said that. Let me tell you why they did that. You're judging someone's intentions. That is a sin. We can't judge people's motives. We don't know them. Are you God? I mean, can we say of you what we can say of Christ? That Christ, knowing what was in their hearts, answered them thus. 
You don't know what's in someone's heart. You don't know why someone said something. You don't know why someone did what they did. All we can judge as human beings is what they said or what they did, but we cannot judge motive. We're not God. And again, this looks like this. Someone tells you what another person said or did, and then you go on to tell them, well, here's the real reason. And it's never positive, is it? Like when you tell someone the real reason why someone said something or did something, it's not positive. You are never hardly quick to give someone the benefit of the doubt. What we are quick to do, because we're sinners, is to give the other person the worst possible motive that we can think of instead of thinking the best that we can about them until we're forced to think otherwise. i only got two more. Jumping to conclusions before you know all the facts is a way that you can bear false witness. You hear part of a story, you hear one side of a story, and then you make a rash and harsh judgment about someone, either in your heart or to another person before you really understand the entire situation. When you do this, you're testifying to another person's guilt or innocence before you know what's going on. That's what you're doing. I think they did this. Well, it's really not out of court yet. We don't really know what's happening. Well, he did that. You are bearing false witness. You're claiming someone did something, and you don't know if they did it or not. And again, this doesn't have to do with court stuff. This can be personal, private life stuff. And often, we find ourselves to be wrong in our hasty judgment, and we're liars. And the last one is this. It's gossiping. Yeah, we're not going to not talk about the Ninth Commandment, not talk about gossiping. Gossiping is spreading personal information about another person that others don't need to know. That hurts. That hurts. I think that this is I mean, just amongst people in general, but I mean, even amongst Christians, this is incredibly common. Gossip is evil. Gossiping is evil because often... Most of the time, gossip is full of false information. It's full of lies. It's full of assumed motives and half-truths, right? Made-up stories that maybe have a, a kernel of truth, like 10% truth in them, or they're stories that are blown way out of proportion. Again, they're lies. But what's really interesting about this is that to be a gossip, you don't even have to lie, though. That's how we justify it a lot of the times, isn't it? It's not gossip if it's true. That's not accurate. Everything you say can be true and you can still be a gossip. Because what is gossiping? It's spreading personal information that other people don't have a right to know or they don't need to know. Right? And gossip is always negative information, isn't it? Why is that? Because no one wants to hear good stories on anybody. I'm serious. A man could dedicate his whole life to helping the homeless, and then he gets mad and cusses out one person. And what is he known for now? He's the guy that cussed out that guy at McDonald's. I'm serious. Like, that's what happens. People love to share bad information on people, people love to hear the dirt. But the wise man in Proverbs says that. Gossip goes down like delicious morsels into the inward parts. Like we just want to devour gossip because we love to hear bad things about other people. So true information, hear me, please hear me. True information told maliciously is gossip. 
with a malicious intent. When you tell someone a story with the intention of making someone else look bad or making someone else think less of another person, you have gossiped. Now, if you tell someone something that they need to know about another person because they have a right to that information and that's just a bad thing that that person did and they think less of them but they needed to know the information, that's not necessarily gossip. Right? If there was a child molester and you go and tell the police, uh, yes, this man is a child molester and it's true, you didn't gossip because people are going to think very poorly of that child molester. But you didn't do it with malicious intent. You did it because that was what was right. But again, anytime that we tell a story on someone with the intention to make others think less of them, we have gossiped. Telling someone scandalous information that they have no right to is gossip. And the reason this falls under the ninth commandment is that in gossip, what you're doing, even if the information is true, is you are intentionally attempting to ruin someone's reputation. You're intentionally harming someone's reputation. And you're doing it unnecessarily, even if it's true information. And this commandment tells us that we're to be honest, only communicate truth and seek to uphold the good name of our neighbor. Just real quick, and we'll come off of gossip for a second. A good test to see whether or not you're gossiping. Ask yourself four questions. Why am I wanting to tell this information? Why? Like, what good can come of this? Why do, why do I want to tell someone this? Do I just like attention? Right? What's wrong with me? Why do I want to tell someone this information? Two, does this person need to know this information? Three, how would I say this if the person I'm talking about were here? Four, does this need said at all? Does it need said? If the answers to these questions are negative, then you're probably gossiping. God hates gossip. It's an evil thing. You're helping to ruin someone else's reputation. These sins, all of them that we went through, and there are many more, they are wicked. And they Listen to me. They reveal a sinful heart. As, as I thought about this... Why do we do this? Why do we lie? Why do we gossip? There are generally two reasons that we lie, gossip, slander, stress the truth, tell stories on people, and all the rest. And I think one of the reasons is this. We think that we're going to look better if other people look worse. I'm serious. We love ourselves and we want ourselves to look better. And we think we look better when other people look awful. In our pride... We, that we convince ourselves that if we point out the foolishness, bad decisions, and sins of others, that somehow it makes us look more righteous. But in reality, really what that does is it highlights your own wickedness, that you would take joy in the fact that other people violate the law of God. That you relish in the fact that someone sinned, or that someone made a bad decision. That reveals something about your own heart. We ought to be grieved that the people around us are fools. We ought to be grieved that people around us sin. We ought to be grieved and run directly to prayer and ask God to help them. But no, we're quick to sit back and be glad that they've messed up. Right? We are so quick to assume a position of superiority because someone has failed in a way that we haven't or in a way that we haven't for a long time because we're Pharisees. We're self-righteous. God, forgive us for being so evil and forgetting that we need a Savior. Right? Often we speak evil of others because we have forgotten that our righteousness is Christ. And that we're saved by pure grace. Or, 
Sometimes we do these things and we talk this way about people because we just plain hate our neighbor. Because we just plain old hate them. Maybe it's not about us feeling better than someone else or just trying to make ourselves look good. Maybe it's we hate the person that we're talking about and we want everyone else to hate them too and be on our team. And listen, as David Allison said when he was preaching on the Sixth Commandment, if you're trying to convince yourself that you don't hate somebody, then you hate them. If you have to try to convince yourself that you don't hate somebody, then you almost certainly hate them. But this law is summed up with, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we show an absolute lack of love for our neighbor when we lie and slander and gossip or do any of these things. We show that we are fundamentally Christless in our thinking about others when we break this commandment. Rather than loving our enemies as Christ has loved us, we hate them and want other people to hate them too. We want to see their reputations destroyed instead of seeing them do well. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth shows what's in your heart. In every one of us, our speech reveals to us that our hearts are full of anger, malice, envy, bitterness, slander, gossip, and hatred. In a word, our mouths reveal that our hearts are full of sin. Every one of us has broken the ninth commandment. We've all told lies. We've all broken promises. We've all tried to save our own skin by dishonesty. We've all been self-righteous. We've all spoken badly of others. We've all harmed the reputation of someone at some point in some way. All of us are unrighteous. And if you're honest with yourself, as you sit and feel the weight of the ninth commandment, you cry out with Paul, there is none righteous. No, not one. This commandment shows us that we have no righteousness in ourselves. And here's the problem. God says this, Psalm 101, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. He hates lying. He hates slander. He says he will destroy those who do those things. No one who utters lies or deceives others will continue before him. Are you nervous yet? God also says this in Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can be in God's presence? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Only the pure of heart can see God. Only the righteous will enter his presence. But it's already been proven to us by our speech that we are not pure in heart. We are impure. We are unclean. We are evil in our hearts. So what hope is there for a bunch of unrighteous slanderers, liars, and gossips like us? We are unrighteous and God demands that we be righteous. On our own, we stand condemned. But this is how the ninth commandment points us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Christ is the end of the law, meaning Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He is the embodiment of this law. He himself is the way, the truth, and the life. As John said in 1 John chapter 1, he is full of grace and truth. 
No deceit was found in him. He never lied. When presented with the option, he chose the cross instead of lying to get out of it. He never flattered those in power, even to save his own life. When reviled, he never reviled back, but he entrusted himself to God. Though he was greater than all, he never sought to make others look worse. He was always grieved at the sin of the people around him. He never slandered or gossiped about anyone. He never sought to do harm to another person's reputation. He never hated his neighbor. Christ is truth and only ever speaks truth. All of his words in his earthly ministry and even now were righteous. He spoke to build others up and not tear them down. Even his rebukes were full of grace and intended to bring men to repentance. He sought the good of all when he spoke. He is completely righteous. Isn't this a beautiful way to think about the Lord Jesus? His mouth proves the purity of his heart. And of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and Christ only spoke righteously. He is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He alone has perfectly kept this commandment. And praise be to God, Christian, his righteousness is yours. He has given us his righteousness. We're full of evil and unrighteousness. We are sinners. Our mouths betray us and give us away on that point. But God has been merciful to give us the righteousness of Christ. Not only has Christ died and suffered the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins, but by faith we've been united to the one who is the embodiment of the ninth commandment. His righteousness is our righteousness. His obedience is our obedience. Our reputation before God was less than nothing. We were foul to his sight in our sin and had no standing with him. But Christ, in giving us his own righteousness to be judged by, has given us his reputation. And now when God looks upon us, he sees the perfect obedience of his son. Christ is our right standing with God. Christ is our obedience. Christ is our everything. So though we have failed miserably to keep this commandment, God has granted us the perfection of his own son. This is the good news for us, right? That by faith we've been united with Christ. And though we have no righteousness on our own and our hearts are full of sin, we have been declared righteous by God because of Christ's perfect obedience. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, united with him, you're in him, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christ is your righteousness. He is your law-keeping. He is your obedience to the ninth commandment. That's good news, Christian. But listen, Christ didn't just save us so we could continue to live lives of unbridled speech. The gospel is good and it's sweet. But Christ saved us so that we would be free from sin. He is our right standing before God, but he also commands us to pursue obedience to God. He's changed us by the work of his Holy Spirit so that though there is much sin in us, we hate it and we desire to be righteous. Right? Not a self-righteousness, not a righteousness that comes from the law apart from faith in Christ, but we have a legitimate desire to be like Christ. Since we've been converted, we now want to image forth the Savior who loved us and lived for us, died for us, was raised for us, and has saved us from our sins. We want to speak like Christ spoke. So how can we strive to keep this commandment? What can we do to try and speak like Christ? I know I've been up here for a while. You'll be cool. You all watch movies. You'll be fine. Give me like five more minutes. 
How can we strive to keep this commandment? Simply put, I think that most of our problems in speech would be solved if we would think on one principle. What's the summary of the second table of the law? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm serious. Most of our problems in speech, most of our problems with, with, with how we treat others in general would be resolved if we would actually think on that principle and apply it to our lives. Ask yourself, is this how someone who loves another person would talk about them? Is this what love dictates me to do in this situation? Is this how I would want someone to talk about me or think about me? Would I want someone else to pass this information on if it were about me, even if it's true? 1 Corinthians 13 says, love delights in the truth and hopes all things. It means love hopes for the best. Love hopes all things and delights in truth. Love requires us to do whatever we can to promote the good name and reputation of our neighbor. So just ask yourself, I'm serious, next time you're in a conversation with someone and someone starts smack-talking another person or starts gossiping or starts slandering someone, whatever it might be, ask yourself, wouldn't you want someone to come to your defense? Wouldn't you want someone to come to your defense? Wouldn't you want others to not spread inaccurate information? Wouldn't you want others to be charitable to you and think the best of your motives? Wouldn't you want to be quoted accurately? Wouldn't you want someone to not pass on your failures and sins to people who don't really need to know what you've done? One simple question can change how we speak. Does this show love for my neighbor? Christ showed me love. Christ loved in how he spoke. I want to be like him. Does this sound like how Christ would speak? And I'm not telling you there's an 11th commandment that says you've got to be nice. Right, Jesus said some harsh stuff. But is this showing love for my neighbor? Second, don't allow yourselves to listen to gossip and slander. Don't allow yourself to listen to gossip and slander. This is one of the ways you can keep this commandment. Right? And here's a tip for you. If it sounds like gossip or slander, it probably is. Right? Here's a little tip. If it sounds like it, like you know what I mean? if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Um, do the righteous thing in that moment. When you know someone's trying to gossip with you or slander someone in your presence, do the right thing and politely call it out for what it is. And this will take some guts. Because listen, people hate righteousness. And when they see that you will not participate with them in unrighteousness, they'll hate you for it sometimes. But this is what righteousness commands us to do. This is what Christ would have us do. Tell them, hey man, this sounds like gossip, and gossip is a sin, and I don't want any part of that. It's none of our business. <laughs> I don't need to know what you're saying. I don't know if that's true. It takes two to gossip. It takes two for there to be a story told. And love for our neighbor will keep us from indulging people and talking badly about others. And then lastly, pray. Pray. All of this, pray. As we're going to read in a second from James 3, your tongue will never be perfectly tamed. In fact, if you could ever get a complete perfect rain on your tongue, you would never sin in any other area of your life either. What does that tell you? You're never going to get this one down. I should remind you, you're always going to need a Savior. But your tongue is never going to be perfectly tamed. Sinning in your speech is going to be a constant temptation, so you must pray every single day. 
all the time. A constant temptation must be met with constant prayer. Ask God to help you love your neighbor. Ask God to help you love your enemies, because it's very fun to talk about people that you don't like. Ask God to, as the psalmist said, place a gate over my mouth. Pray that he would help you to spot your sinful speech and identify it before it comes out. God will certainly help you. His will is that we would be holy. He will not ignore you when you cry out and ask him for help in obeying him. But in all of this, as we close, cling to Christ as your righteousness. Repent often. Look to the cross often. Look to the perfect life that Christ has given to you. Look to that often. This is going to be a long battle for all of us. But we will honor the one who has made us right with God as we seek to obey him and speak like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word that it, it truly is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it, it cuts us. Uh, but Lord, we know that you love us and we know that the Proverbs tell us faithful are the wounds of a friend. God, you love us. And you're willing to wound us that we might see what's wrong with us, that we might repent and look to Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep a guard over our mouth, that we would be honest people, that we would not delight in seeing other people torn down, but that we would love our neighbors. Help us to be like Christ. And God, above all of this, help us to remember the initial message of all of this is not be like Jesus because that's just more law. If that's all we take away from this, Lord, then we just have condemnation. But Lord, I pray that our first takeaway from this would be Christ is my righteousness and my right standing with God. And then secondarily, Lord, that we would take, I want to be like him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your righteousness given to us by grace. We pray this all in his name. Amen.